Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, March the 1st, 2022. This is episode 3043 of the Survival Podcast, and today is the beginning of a new series. It is the first Tuesday of the month. It's the first Tuesday and the first day of the month at the same time. Can't promise that for every first Tuesday, but we're going to do a first Tuesday chat with Jack Spiergo. That's me, of course. If you're new to the show, maybe you didn't know that. John Willis of Original SOE Tactical Gear and Nicole Awesome Sauce from Living Free in Tennessee. Uh, Nicole has started to do some of these chats with uh, John, and John and I go way back to the very beginning, the genesis of the Survival Podcast. He was very good to me in the beginning when I was absolutely nobody. He was sending me gear, he was promoting me, he was making his employees listen to me uh, in their shop, and he's come into his own with social media over the years as well. Huge presence on social media, very well known for his YouTube and Instagram rants, uh, big on work ethic and getting things done, and really being a mentor to, to, to younger men who are used to being handled with kid gloves, and John is anything but that. You guys all know Nicole very well. She's a member of my expert council and has been working with TSPC since, I believe, around 2015 or 2016. And, uh, of course, then there's me. So we decided we would all get together once a month officially and do this. And then I and Nicole both have podcasts. We'll put it out as our podcast for that day. So this is the first time we've ever really done it this way. We did do one other chat with the three of us. It went really well, kind of a test to see how it would be. And now we formalized it, so I hope you'll enjoy it. Now, what are we going to talk about today? The state of the world, what the hell is going on, and what we can do about it. Exactly what that's going to be? I don't know. I'm not in charge. I am just part of a panel here, and uh, we'll probably uh, get into a lot of different things today. But uh, I, I do hope you guys enjoy it. We'll jump into the live feed, and we're gonna, these are going to be done by live feeds. Uh, today's live feed would be on my YouTube, John's YouTube, and Nicole's YouTube. Uh, Nicole had set this up, so in her stream yard, she can stream to three locations, so it's only on the three YouTube channels. Um, in the future, we'll probably run it on my stream yard, because I can go to eight platforms, and we'll include things like Odyssey and Float and Twitch, at least on my end. And I may even upgrade from there if I can find a few more platforms that are worth streaming to. I love this concept that I can stream to multiple places, and when it's over, all those videos are there and archived for people to watch. Um, it's doing work once and getting multiple results from it. Between that and YouTube mirroring onto other video sites, uh, it, it gets our presence out there in a lot of places. It gives you guys options, and eventually, I'm sure YouTube will cancel me. I, I have no doubt in time that I will be canceled by YouTube. I've been on the, on the strike road many times. I don't really play the game either. I don't try to stay on. I just do what's right, and if I lose my YouTube channel, it'll suck, it'll cost me money, it'll cost me exposure, but it'll be worth it to speak the truth, and we will be speaking the truth today. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Number one today is JM Bullion. Um, I am big on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, but especially Bitcoin, and I'm built big on silver and gold. I think silver and gold compared to weaknesses, uh, Bitcoin have some weaknesses, and I think Bitcoin compared to silver and gold have some weaknesses. The beauty of silver for small items is I can hand you a couple coins and we go on about our way and no one will ever know anything. 
The beauty of gold is I can take a, 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 the amount of gold that will fit in a belt buckle, in the hidden components of a belt buckle, and finance a new life somewhere around the world. It, it, this is not an either-or choice as far as I'm concerned. It's a both. And I think everybody should include a stack of sats, so your Bitcoin, and a stack of silver and or gold in your long-term plans. It is a great way to hand down wealth as well. Um, you know, when you get to be an older guy and you know you're getting ready to cash your chips in instead of cashing your silver in, um, you can just hand a couple boxes out here and there to your heirs. They don't need a, a will or anything for that to happen. It just, no, maybe never happened, but it it did happen. There's a lot of advantages to silver and gold. So why get it from Jam Bullion? Because, number one, you get a discount if you're an MSB member. No one gets you a discount on silver and gold. I do. Right, Once a month, you can get a discount on your purchase of silver and gold. You get free shipping on all your orders. It's the same silver and gold that you get from anywhere else. And then on top of that, if there ever is an issue, I can reach out to the president directly. I have had other silver and gold houses that charge more for their silver and gold, ask to be sponsors, and I've told them no because they won't give me the direct email or contact information for their CEO or president. We work with small companies at the Survival Podcast. We are big enough now, we don't have to anymore. But I said way back in the beginning, I would always stick by my sponsors if they stuck by me, and I've done that. And J.M. Bullion has earned it. Next up today, one of the newest sponsors we have, and it's about five years now that we've had this relationship, RidgeWallet.com. I love the Ridge Wallet. It helps me be more of a minimalist, and it minimizes my EDC. It protects me from identity theft. It works great. It looks great. It's awesome, and they have other cool stuff. You can find out more at RidgeWallet.com. And again, if you're an MSB member, 10% off everything that Ridge Wallet sells. So check them out today at RidgeWallet.com. And if you're not an MSB member, you could probably get enough of a discount on your first purchase there to largely justify becoming a member. Because right now, you can become a member of the MSB for 35 freaking bucks. 35 bucks a year. Tons of discounts and support the show that you love. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and the discount code to get it for 35 bucks a year, Mexico22. All lowercase letters and then the numbers 22, M-E-X-I-C-O-2-2. And that will get you the discount for uh, $35 a year. And it does apply to recurring. And I'm running it all through March to celebrate uh, what we did with Anarchapoco 2022. That was a great uh, experience. It meant so much to me that so many of y'all came here for the watch party and supported it. It meant so much to me that I was asked to do it, and I put that discount code out uh, for the people at Anarchapoco and virtual as well, and I thought it's only right that I give it to my audience as well. So Mexico 22 would get you that discount. And one more, right before we jump on. Hey, would you like to get paid in Bitcoin? Direct deposit in Bitcoin. Maybe not all your, your check, maybe 3%, 4%, 5%. Do you know you can do that with a company called Strike? If you go to today's episode and you'll look in the uh, in the show notes, you will see a link that says Get Paid in Bitcoin with Strike. Click that link. It'll tell you all about it. And you, too, can start stacking sats the easy, 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 simple way. And guess what? If your employer pays you in direct deposit, you don't have to ask any permission. You just fill out a different form. And it splits your direct deposit, and the amount you want to goes into strike. It immediately buys Bitcoin. And once a week, you can transfer it out to your own self-custodied wallet. How cool is that? Learn more. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com, pull up today's episode, and you will see it in the links. And you'll know all this stuff if you're on the daily mail. So get on the survivalpodcast.com, click on subscribe, and subscribe to the daily email. With that, let's drop on into the live stream with John Willis, Nicole Sauce, and yours truly, Jack Spearco. 
And we're live, guys. Welcome to our first Tuesday fireside chat with Jack Spierko, John Willis. I'm Nicole Sauce. Let's start by just, um, Jack, tell us who you are and what you do and why you're here. I am Jack Spierko. I am the host of the Survival Podcast running uh, 14 years now. Uh, we have won Podcast of the Year twice, and uh, we have about 3,300 episodes right now. And if people want to learn more, then go to tspc.co. And I'm here because y'all asked, and I think y'all are awesome, and I want to be part of what you're doing. Awesome. John Willis, for, for the people who are not on your channel, do the same. Um, I make nylon tactical gear. I've done that for 35 years. We build gear for guys that kill bad guys all around the world. Um, started a Facebook page years ago, said things that people wouldn't say, just kind of said what I wanted to say. And a lot of people said, man, I wish I could do that. And I said, well, you can. You just can't do it where you work. So it kind of turned into to that. And I've always been kind of a, a crazy survivalist, right? Doomsday Preppers came out and shopped us. And we got all these TV shows want to do this stuff. But they don't want to do it real. So we just never did any of that stuff. Um, and just through social media, I've been able to show what we do. And I think that if people are in a position where they give advice, there should be evidence of proof that they're doing what they give advice on. Awesome. Well, I'm Nicole Sauce from the Living Free in Tennessee podcast and Holler Roast Coffee, hollerroast.com. And I came to this world because I was frustrated with working in libertarian public policy, changing little things and losing big things. So I transitioned out and decided to follow a different passion, which was it started with people calling me in the middle of canning and asking me questions about canning. And so I started this podcast about just basic homestead things. It's turned into a lifestyle design podcast like most podcasts have these days. And then we share a lot of information about building small business as well as my experiences on my little homestead. I also like to share mistakes so you know what it's really like. So today we're here to have sort of a State of the Union talk, because I heard there was a State of the Union talk yesterday, wasn't there? I have no idea. But first was it yesterday? Started, I thought it was, it, did it happen? Did I, I missed it? Today. I know. Huh? I thought it was today. Oh, no, it is today. It's Tuesday. Sorry. Okay. My head All right. right now. So the State of the Union tonight, we're doing the State of the Union before the State of the Union, and it's Fat Tuesday. So Fat Tuesday at my house means we have crepes. Okay. And crepes are great because you can have savory crepes or you can have sweet crepes. And I'm going to actually eat wheat flour in my crepes. I'm not even doing like keto almond flour crepes. But then that's the predecessor to Lent where some people give things up. So are you guys giving anything up for Lent? No. No. No, I used to, though. Um, yeah. I was raised uh, Ukrainian Catholic, which I'm sure we'll get into Ukraine stuff today at some point. And uh, it was a very big deal. It's, it's kind of like you take... Eastern Orthodoxy and Catholicism and shove it together and you get all of everything that is makes you miserable in one faith. <laughs> and uh, so we took Lent very seriously and that meant no meat on Fridays during Lent at all, period, no matter what else you gave up. It's okay to eat lobster somehow, but no meat, I, whatever. <laughs> but for Fat Tuesday, which we didn't call Fat Tuesday, it's just beginning before Lent, we have here last blowout. My, my grandmother used to make donuts mm. and like deep fried, you know, plain cake, Fresh out of the fryer, donuts. It's like the best thing she ever made. She only made them once a year. That was only for Fat Tuesday. Awesome. John, any Fat Tuesday stories? Or are you just like, screw that? Um, I like donuts. <laughs> <laughs> he does like donuts. In fact, Jack, do you have that recipe? That's What we need to do is get Jack. No idea. 
compound and we need to make the donuts. That'd be awesome. I was, uh, I was a dead broke teenager hustling back then. I, I, there's so many things I wish I would have learned from my grandmother that I didn't about cooking. As long as it was like baking and stuff like that, the woman destroyed meat, old country mentality. Meat was going to kill you if you didn't cook it. So, I mean, she would literally boil a steak. I mean, it was, but like the halupkis and halushkis and the, I wish I knew how to make that stuff today. I don't want to eat it all the time, but it'd be nice to once in a while be able to do it. So young people out there still have your uh, elders around, man, learn that stuff before they're gone. So I get a lot of emails this time of year about people giving up coffee for Lent and they send me an apology in advance. And, and I just say whatever, but you know, guys, it's a good time to start buying coffee because I have a little more time to roast as, as people give up their coffee for Lent. No, I don't give anything up for Lent either just because I, I try to design my life where I have balance. Sometimes I'm more successful at that than other times. Okay. We've already got a couple questions in. If you have questions you want us to see, I see a couple people are already trained on this. Put them in all caps. I said that in the comments as well. And I guess we're chomping at the bit over this Ukraine thing, aren't we? I've got two Ukraine-looking sorts of questions. So this is one where Jack and I were texting about Ukraine this morning, and he asked me, did you know, and there was some example of something that happened in the Ukraine. And I wrote back, no, I didn't know. That's why I haven't done a podcast episode on what's going on in Ukraine and what my opinion is. My podcast episode has focused on how should we react when we're at war? Because we're always at war. It seems like we're always at war with somebody, which means this isn't very different than that, in my opinion. And I then allocated myself two hours over the weekend to learn about it and only spent one hour looking into it. So we'll start with, with the question here. What is it? Uh, thoughts on the DOJ. Well, before we do that, Jack, can you give us an overview of Ukraine? Oh God, uh, it won't that? be an overview. It'll just be a couple examples of because yeah. an overview would take hours. hours um, yes. It's just a, what you're seeing on TV is bullshit, and a whole bunch of the propaganda that's come out already has already been proven lies. You got the Suppose that I don't know if she was like a Miss Ukrainian or something like that that was you know, fighting the war and it turned out she was holding an airsoft gun. We've had pictures of things supposedly happened actually from video games, pictures that are from, you know, t- three or four years ago. There's the whole thing with the uh, the sailors that were on the island. There was 14 of them. They were told to surrender to Russian forces and they told them to fuck off and then they all got killed and that didn't happen. So those are just some examples. But there's a lot at play here. And when I say this, I've been called all types of terrible names involving Putin and servicing him in some awful way or something. And like, I'm not pro Putin and I'm not pro Zelensky. I'm pro truth. And the truth is murky, but here's a couple examples that people don't understand what's going on. The, 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 uh, the region of, uh, with the two provinces and now they're escaping me right now, the names of them, but they've been offered autonomy going back to what's called the Minsk agreements years ago, and there's supposed to be a truce between them. And the people that live there have been shelled on an almost daily basis for years now after that agreement in violation of that agreement. They are mostly ethnically Russians that live in that province. And if you look at the two parties in Ukraine, we think Democrat and Republican, they're more like pro-Ukraine national and pro-Russia. Those are your two parties. And there's a line right down the middle where there's an even split. And there's a huge majority of people that are pro-Russian on, 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 on East Ukraine and a huge majority that are pro-Ukraine nationalism on West Ukraine. And 
this has just been going on and it's a civil war and we've, we've been led to believe this is all about Russia. It's all about Russia. Russia's involved, but it's an internal conflict that Russia's now inserted itself into. And there's a ton of stuff going on that people just like, they'll never tell you. When Russia took over Crimea in 2014, which they did without firing a shot, by the way, I'm not saying good or bad. It's just the facts. They didn't roll in with tanks and take it over like they're invading Ukraine right now. They went in as quote unquote peacekeepers. There was a referendum and it was something like 94% of Crimeans voted to become part of Russia. And it was a, as peaceful as that kind of thing could happen. It was a peaceful secession basically. Well, a consequence of that was Crimea is seen as this beautiful, fertile place. The coast is great. The rest of it's like what they call high steppe. It's like borderline desert. And there's canals that come out of, from the north, out of Ukraine into Crimea. And after the secession, annexation, call it what you want, instead of the Ukrainians saying, hey, we would like to have some kind of reasonable relationship with Crimea still, and, and saying, hey, like your water's not free. We'll come up with some sort of market rate or something to provide this water coming out of our reserves. They poured concrete in the irrigation canals and cut off Crimea's water. They're on water rationing in, in the capital city of Crimea right now. Right. And like, so there's, there's enough blame to go in all directions in this. And my summation is there's no angels in this and there, and there's no one bad guy. And we live in this fantasy world. You know, when I was a child, I used to play with childish things. And as an adult, you have to put the childish things away. The childish thing is, what you and I and, and John grew up with, right, where we had all the movies and TV shows in the 70s and 80s, and there's always a clear-cut good guy and a bad guy, and the good guy always wins. And so we're, we're conditioned in a war to say, well, who's the bad guy? It could be the case there's two bad guys here, and both sides have some legitimate grief with the other side. And then the bigger gameplay here, the real thing, this is, you know, if the media wanted to tell you the truth, they, they would get too close to home. Instead of a war over oil, this is a war over natural gas. The strategic moves that Russia is taking in Ukraine are to cut off the gas production capacity of Ukraine so that Russia can maintain the monopoly that it has in the European market. Because without gas and oil, Russia doesn't have an economy. If you push oil under $70 a barrel, the Russian economy collapses. So our solution, of course, is to jack up the price of gas and oil, well over $100 a barrel, then say we're sanctioning Russia and still buy Russia's gas and oil. So it doesn't inconvenience us. So this all is just a giant fuck fest. And I think personally the best thing the world can do is stay out of it and let this – this is a centuries-old ethnic conflict, by the way. And, and so one more, and then I'll let you all say what you want. Um, we think of racism in the United States as like white people, black people, or Asian people and Hispanic people, like race that way. And we do that because we live in this world that is so divorced from traditional racism and ethnic, you know, differences. It's not always racism to, to identify a difference, but we see every white person is the same. You go to other places in the world where people are Caucasian, they don't see things that way, right? It's just like if you went to Asia and you called a Chinese person Korean, they might get pissed off at you. If you call someone that's Ukrainian, um, Georginian, or Russian, they get pissed. They have different languages, different cultures, different traditions. And Ukraine, that we think of as being this defined border thing that always was, isn't. A huge piece of what is Ukraine today used to be Poland. The people that live in that region aren't exactly thrilled with that overall. The word Ukraine actually means borderland. It's a region, 
and it's been moved around and manipulated around. And so like Donsk is in a place that always was Russia, but now it's Ukraine. Again, there's parts of Poland that are now in Ukraine. Crimea was never part of Ukraine until we decided it was after the Soviet Union broke up. This is another example of people that don't want to control the world like a chessboard, just moving borders around with no considerations for the traditions, the ethnicity, the, the, uh, the heritage of the people that they're fucking with. And war always happens when we do that. We see it clearly in the Middle East, and we somehow think this is different. It's not. So sorry for the long answer, but that's for an overview. That's the best I can do. That's pretty dang good. John, do you have anything to add? Uh, guys, guys keep asking me about it. I don't. I don't really. But they, they want to know which side you stand with, or they want your opinion on it. But why, why are they asking where I stand or my opinion? Because that's how they're going to side, because they watch me and they feel like they know us because they, you know, follow our content and talk to us. And some of them we do know. But why do they, why does it matter? Like, this is, this is the survival podcast. This is, you know, living free in Tennessee. This is special operations equipment. I don't, I've never been to the Ukraine. I don't know anybody in the Ukraine. Sonny will tell you, leave Russia alone. Let Russia do what it's going to do. And if the United States get involved, there's going to be problems for people in the United States. It's going to constrict things. But maybe the, all the distraction that you're seeing and the reason this is so in your face is to cover something else up that's going on. Like you're not hearing anything about the truckers right now. And there's not one trucker convoy. There are multiple trucker convoys that say, hey, we are not the same group and we are headed here. Maybe it's don't look at that. What about all the stuff that was happening with the Bidens in the Ukraine? What about all the map overlays that show U.S. interest in bioweapons labs that they just bombed the shit out of? So you, who knows what it is, but everybody that we're involved with is talking about this right now. No matter what happens, the dollar is worth less. The stuff that you want to buy costs more if you can even get it. So why not take that energy and focus on making more money right now? You're definitely going to need it, and you're never going to be upset that you have it in order to do other things with it. So we can war game it, but what what can I, like we can't affect it, you know? There are things we can't affect, though, by not paying attention or putting all the energy into it. I agree. Go ahead. So this question relates to what my interface with the Ukraine conflict has been like on my podcast and in my network. And it's questions like these. How much minimum cash should I have at home to prepare for what's coming? And I don't know if that's what motivated this one from Echo. But the answer I have today is exactly the answer I would have had three weeks ago or four weeks ago. It's not different. I don't think you should go take $100,000 cash and stuff it in your mattress right now just in case banks get turned off, shit goes south, and you got to pay for any, everything with cash while there's rampant inflation, right? Because if that situation were to fictionally happen, if that were to happen, your $100,000 in your mattress is not going to help you for very long, and you didn't have it to do things with that you need to do with them to make your life better. And the thing you're going to fall back in a situation that's like that are skills, knowledge, and your network. That's what saves your butt. And you may not save your butt, right? That's that's when things get really bad. Some people don't make it, but if you're going to make it, it's because you've worked on you and it's because you have a strong network and it's because you've learned how to figure out how to do things that you have, you have people in the prepper space right now that have these YouTube channels 
It just went from 50,000 to 250,000. And they did it by making two and three, four minute videos, simply reading the news. It's just circular reporting. One guy does it and 10 guys do the same thing. So all these channels have grown. And you just had a dude come out and go, oh my God, there's going to be a run on the banks. Go take money out of the bank. Most, most people in your audience don't have money to take out of the bank. And you showed no evidence of, the, the same guys made a video last week. Oh my God. What it, I'm, I'm going to fill my gas can. So I'm telling you guys go all fill your, are, do you, are your gas cans not filled already? Like where, what did you, where, where have you been all this time? Yeah. If you take this as a motivational thing to be responsible with your prepping and I put in the notes that we might talk about like what responsible prepping looks like versus prepping out of fear then by all means, make sure your preps are in order. That should be that way. You should be on a rolling basis with your deep pantry. You should be on a roller rolling basis with your fuel storage. I like to keep a few weeks of cash on hand so that if systems aren't working and I can't use my ATM card, I can still pay for things. But I don't feel like I need to pull all my money out of the bank and put it in crypto right now. That said, it's not bad to have some crypto from time to time, right? You know, there's a question up here about uh, what about turning off Russian crypto exchanges? And it's way, way back here. Thoughts on the Department of Justice seizing Russian crypto exchange domains like back in 2017. I don't have thoughts on that. Before we go there, can we go back to the original question on how much cash? Yeah. So I, I need people to start thinking about cash a little bit differently if, if you want to think critically. And the only reason I even go on is things like what's going on in Ukraine is to teach critical thinking. Wherever people's attention is at a time, I'll use it as a way to teach how to critically analyze a complex situation. That's the only reason I do it. So cash. You have to start thinking of cash. I don't care if it's in the bank. I don't care if it's in a mattress. It has a cost. It costs you money to hold cash right now. And that number depending on who you believe, is somewhere between seven, seven to 22 points a year. Let's call it 10. Let's, let's err to the conservative side of, of how bad inflation is. So if I take $100,000 and put it in my mattress, what's my cost at 10% to hold it for a year? $10,000. So what you have to look at with your cash is it's, you've got to change it from, oh, I'm hoarding cash to what's my opportunity cost? The purpose of cash and so we can execute opportunities when they come around. And if we have no liquid assets and we have no cash and this great opportunity comes, all we do is sit there and look at it like my grandfather said. They looked at, you know, food in the Depression and said, damn, that's cheap. Wish I could buy it. I don't have. So your cash you're holding comes with that opportunity cost. So the best thing to do then is you need enough cash to get through some shit short term around home. And that's going to be anywhere between a few hundred to a few thousand dollars, depending on who you are. You know, if it's if it's me or John, it's probably at least a few thousand dollars. If it's a lot of people listening, it's a few hundred because that's what they have to be able to hold. So you have to adjust that based on who you are. But that cash is emergency cash. Anything else is a cash equivalency right now comes with a very high cost. And you only do it for the purpose of opportunity. Otherwise, it should be invested in your business, in real estate, in something that's an appreciating asset. Or you're literally burning money away. Would you hold one hundred thousand dollars in cash in a box in your house? If you knew every year somebody would come in a few times a year and take $10,000 out of it total over a year, and when you open the box on December 31st, it would be $90,000 in it. Well, you probably wouldn't. That will change the way you look at it. That's why I'm a fan of things like Bitcoin, precious metals, real estate. Those are like my three places that I want to live with asset investment, 
and then never think that you're not making an investment when you investment into the infrastructure in your homestead. If you can create food production systems that produce, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars of food worth a year for you, and you can do that with an investment of ten thousand dollars, that's a better investment than you can make in most other things. Just like all investments, it comes with risk. You might think that's what you're doing. And all of us that have done homesteading know, like, your first systems, you fuck them up. They don't work as well as you planned, <laughs> right? So go slow with that and be methodical with that. But the cash you keep on hand, that's opportunity. That's what that money's there for. It's so that when when Dodge gets stupid like they did when COVID started and they dropped the price of a fucking $40,000 car to $24,000, I walked in and said, I'll take one, right? Because I wanted that. That was, that was an ego purchase. But if I hadn't had money that I was willing to put aside for opportunity – I wouldn't have been able to do that. I would have financed it. It would have cost me 40 grand by the time I was going to make payments on it. They need to look at cash differently too. Like where is the cash coming from? Why? I, I hope that all of you are in a position that you don't have to have cash. You don't have to go to the bank and pull it out and convert electronic to cash. I hope that face-to-face with clients, customers, or friends, people will pay you cash for a goods or a service, and now you have cash. You also can look at cash as – I can spend this cash a lot of times face-to-face and there was no record of transaction for whatever I bought. So look at it like that also. Hopefully you have something coming in that you do that gives you cash without involving the bank or the IRS. The other thing, you have all these CEOs that have miraculously just stepped down from all these companies because they can't sell that stock legally. They step down, convert their stock holdings to cash. They're not holding cash, though. They're buying assets. They're buying islands. They're buying helicopters. They're buying boats. They're not keeping it in U.S. dollar. And no matter where they end up and when the U.S. dollar crashes and it's Fed coin or whatever it is, they can liquidate that and change that to whatever currency they want because it's a, it holds it's a valuable asset. Yeah, the biggest place they put their money is real estate, and the reason for that is it's it's a shadow asset on a balance sheet that can appreciate continuously. So they can take loans against the real estate and then take loans against other real estate in the future and keep using one loan to pay off the other loan. They can pay themselves millions of dollars a year in, in technically income that way, but legally it's debt. So they pay no tax on it. That's when you hear like somebody made $30 million last year and paid zero taxes. That's because they didn't make $30 million. They borrowed $30 million against their own assets. We can play that game at a lower level too. We can do the same type of thing. That's what, you know, Nicole, you do rental income properties, yep. right? That's what that is. I am building an appreciating asset with somebody else's cash flow. And then I'm turning around while I'm making money and depreciating the asset so that I'm reducing my income while I'm actually increasing my income, mm-hmm. right? That's like when, when, when Trump was running for president, somebody said something about him not paying taxes and somebody made a meme and it was Anakin and Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan tells Anakin, you know, Donald Trump made, you know, so many billion dollars and didn't pay any taxes on it. And Anakin says to him, is it possible to learn this power? <laughs> and the answer is yes. I just told you how to do it. It's That's how simple it is. And I think we're heading for a place long term with Bitcoin where you'll be able to do the same thing with Bitcoin. It's a digital property is the best way to think of it. And so I'm all for diversification in this. Cash, yes. Silver and gold, yes. Investing in tools, your infrastructure, Real property and cryptocurrency, namely Bitcoin. I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist, but I am a shitcoin minimalist. And that's why I also like things like R and Monero so that I can send John some cryptocurrency and we could literally say, Oh, you want to know what happened? Here's a number. Go look it up on the blockchain. And it just says, Wah, wah. Right. Good, good luck figuring that shit out. I mean, that's, 
We need to use all the tools that we have at our disposal. I had somebody today, I put out a video and I said, you know, this is a permaculture technique. And they said, I thought permaculture was when you move chickens around and planted gardens behind them. I was like, that's a technique, not a discipline, right? Mm-hmm. All of these techniques are arrows in the quiver. We need to use every fucking arrow in the quiver because our enemy will, right? They'll use all the arrows in their quiver. So we need to be very adaptive in the current situation. That's a good point. Uh, you know, I just had Nick Ferguson out here last week, speaking of permaculture, figuring out multiple ways the same place on my land could serve me. And that's always nice. I think if you think about cash and assets that same way, are there multiple ways it can serve me? That's good. And knowing that you have all these tools in your quiver is important. But if you just heard Jack talk about all that stuff and two things, you're like, I don't get it. Those two things go on your learn it list. Go learn about cryptocurrency if you don't quite understand how it works. And instead of going in with your heart set on cryptocurrency is bad, go ask what can it do. Instead of your heart set on this is the uh, you know the feds trying to trap us, go in with what can it do and and learn because as you figure it out, you will integrate. Even if it is a tool that the feds are using, you will figure out how to benefit from that because other people are. Do do we want to answer this question at this point? Speaking of cryptocurrency, thoughts on DOJ seizing Russian crypto exchanges? Let, let me say something on that real quick, and then I'm going to turn it over to you all for a second. I got something I got to handle for about two seconds out here. Yeah. Um, the DOJ seizing Russian crypto exchange domains This basically is, there's a name that points to a website. When you do that, you can't get to the website by going to that name anymore. It's it's almost juvenile. It's so ridiculously stupid. The average cryptocurrency trader is far more technically, you know, affluent than the average person. And the average person can figure out how to drop something like an IP address into a browser. So you can shut down the domain, but that doesn't shut down the exchange. And then they're talking about doing this with Russian exchanges. So, you know, maybe there are domain names now. They call them unstoppable domains. The domain literally lives and does its redirection on a blockchain. So it's immutable like Bitcoin. So there's a solution right there. But even the American exchanges like Coinbase and Bitrix and all just told DOJ to go fuck themselves when they said they wanted them to shut down access to all their Russian customers. And even Coinbase, who's, You know, they're publicly traded. They're they're going to play ball with the FTC, et cetera. They said that's going to hurt the average Russian that has nothing to do with this, and we are not going to blanket do that. If you want somebody locked out of their account, you're going to have to give us justification for that individual, and you're going to have to name them, and you're going to have to you're going to have to actually say why. You have to you're going to have to do something that forces us to do it. We're not going to do it because you asked. So I, I think there's like kind of much ado about nothing there. And I also think this is all revolves around the concept of SWIFT, which is the one of the payment systems that they use so that like Russia can sell oil to Germany. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the word is out that the Russian thrown out of SWIFT. No, uh, several of the European countries and several other countries in the world, they said they will, they are going to ban Russia from SWIFT. Okay. Okay. That going to means not done yet. Number two, they said certain Russian banks. Well, what does that mean? If I'm going to ban certain Russian banks, what does that mean about other Russian banks? Or are there no other ways that company countries can exchange funds with each other? 
right? This is just a simple, simplified way to do a guaranteed exchange of funds for commodities that we have. And so the idea is now Putin is going to start, you know, spending Bitcoin or taking Bitcoin to sell oil and gas and to commit trade. I think is just, it's more, what it is, is it's fodder for people like the puke that, that is Elizabeth Warren to explain why, why Bitcoin is bad and why they need to regulate it more heavily. And what we have right now is we have politicians talking about regulating Bitcoin with no understanding of what they're talking about regulating or how it works. You're going to regulate something that I can access with some numbers from anywhere in the world in a peer-to-peer capacity where John and I can do business with each other, and there's literally nothing you can do about it. What they want to do is they want to regulate the on-ramps and off-ramps, and they want to be as totalitarian and tight on that as they can be. And I'm sure they're actually looking at Putin and thinking, man, what a what a genius. How can we do that here? What Russia wants to do is say if a Russian wants to own Bitcoin, it has to be held in a Russian bank, and the bank holds it for you. And they probably want to run that play here. But, you, again, you can pass that law. What are you going to do to make it happen? Like it's, it's, they literally don't understand. There is no, they keep talking about Bitcoin accounts. There's no such thing as a Bitcoin account. There's an exchange account that gives you a GUI to control your Bitcoin, but a, there's no such thing as a Bitcoin account. A Bitcoin is just information. It's just numbers. It's cryptography. You're trying to ban math. Now they can fuck people up to where they can't do math, but you're not going to ban math. That's not how, that's not how that shit works. So I think they live in fantasy land to a degree. And all this talk is just to gin up support for their bullshit regulatory framework they want to bring in. So the funny thing is, um, will cutting off Russian banks accelerate the usage of Bitcoin? This is an opinion type of question. I, I don't know that it will accelerate it more than it's already accelerating. It may, I, I think it may do a little bit of a blip, but what I'm seeing, which is an interesting impact of this is people have people in my network who haven't really understood the difference between your custodial wallet where you control your, your private keys for your Bitcoin and an exchange where the wallet there they control, which means they have control of your Bitcoin. They're starting to ask what that means and how that works. So I think it's a good result of, of all this talk going on that people are starting to dig down and try to understand how crypt- cryptocurrency works. Any thoughts on that, John? Well, no, no. Okay. Um, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what I think. Bitcoin's going to do because I'm a dude standing in a garage right here, right? I buy Bitcoin because I heard Jack talk about Bitcoin and I believe that Jack is smart enough with his money, probably better so than I am, that I'm going to do some of what Jack does with his money. But what you should look at is what does the world and the people buying Bitcoin think? Is Bitcoin prices up right now or is it down? And it's, it's traveling up, right? I know that had I put money in Bitcoin two years ago, I would have a ton more money than I have right now. I've always get these dudes that are like, but what backs it? Well, what backs your U.S. dollar other than the belief in the dollar, right? I don't have time to try to change people's minds or convert them. People ask what I do. I tell them what I do. I have proof of what I do. But I'm not going to con- – because usually the dude that's, that's wanting to argue with you about this and wants you to change his mind, he doesn't have any fucking money to buy Bitcoin anyways. Hey, Survival Tips, thanks for uh, liking and sharing this with your followers. Really appreciate that. Let's get more people on this feed. We're up to about 212. I'd like to see that top 300. 
if we can get it up there. Should be able to, huh? But there's um, no reason not to. Let, let's let's hit the what backs it question with the most simple answer I can give you. Security backs it. The fact that one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, it's fungible, it's tradable 24-7, 365 around the world. It's the most liquid asset that's ever existed, and it can't be counterfeited. If I send Nicole 0.1 Bitcoins, not only is she going to be very happy, but she can rest assured that 0.1 Bitcoin, that that token, tokenized piece of a Bitcoin, is 100% legitimate, and it will always be that, even if she breaks it up into smaller pieces and sends it somewhere else. And the reason that that's the case is there's a financial incentive to do what we call mining, but mining isn't just getting new Bitcoin. It's actually verifying transactions. So all this talk about boiling the oceans and all this energy, all those computers all around the world, all those ASICs spinning all day long, all the time, they exist for one purpose, the security of the Bitcoin network. What backs Bitcoin? The security of the Bitcoin network. That's that. It's the value of the network. We, and the network that is Bitcoin is the most successful thing that humans have ever done, measured by dollars technologically, in the history of the world. It has a market cap that exceeds the largest corporations in the world. It took 30 years to get there, and it did it in 10. That's what backs it. The fact that I can do business with John, and we can both know we're dealing with the exact same Bitcoin and that it's going to be able to go forward. The fact that uh, 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 somebody, some some guy that came to this country that's busting his fucking ass every day to feed his family in El Salvador can save, you know, hundreds of dollars a month in remittance fees to actually support his family back in El Salvador. I know some people listening to this are against that, but, hey, Western Union has no problem making money off that guy, right? And before you think that, you should maybe meet some of these people that they come here, they go eight years without seeing their family, and they live in shit to support their family and realize how dedicated those people are, right? And you basically have a young a young computer hacker like Jack Mahler's at Strike that put together a product that's taking down a multi-billion dollar, hundred-year-old corporation in Western Union. And what's the value? There's the fucking value. And if I need to say more than that, like John said, first of all, if I have to explain more than that to somebody, they don't have any fucking money anyway, right? And two, you're not going to understand because it's not that you can't understand, so you don't want to. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe Peter Schiff is your, your gold baddie or something, you know. I don't know. I just think sometimes people get stuck in a mindset of they're not ready. It's kind of like when kids are learning, you know, you can talk to them all day long about how to do an oil change. And if they're not ready to conceptually understand what an oil change is, it just it's like, whoop, over their head. But the day they're ready to do the oil change, suddenly they can understand what you're saying about the oil change. And, and we work that way our whole lives. Okay, now for something completely different. You three rock. Keep up, keep up the good work. Hey, Derek, hit that like button. What's the best way to start a small garden? The do best it. way. Do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do it. Not just do it. Um, there's a lot of different techniques out there. It's not a technique I'm in love with, but like if you really feel like you need your hand held through your first garden, uh, square foot gardening. I can't remember the guy that wrote it, but square foot oh, gardening. Oh, is like, yeah, that's a good entry level point. I think it oversimplifies things to the point of not all of the allocation of space really works out the way that, you know, it does in the book, but it will get you going. It'll get you, it'll get, it'll, it'll get you on, on the track. But I mean, just think about the fact that all of our grandparents, they just dug up a bed, planted shit in it, made sure it got enough water, threw some composted manure on it. And they, they fed their families with that. Like, 
It is not the mysterious thing that people make it out to be. And it is really not something that you can totally learn without actually doing it, in my opinion. It's your patriotic duty as a U.S. citizen to keep free chickens, right? That was our government put that out to everybody. You were supposed to cut up victory gardens. You were supposed to cut up four by eight feet of your front yard and plant a garden. Like just go to Walmart, buy the cheapest soil you can get, go get you some rabbits and take the rabbit shit and put it in the soil or for your first garden, just to start out with, get some damn miracle grow. Just use miracle grow. I know that everybody's against chemicals. I don't use any chemicals here hardly at all anymore. But when you start and you see what you can do, I used to grow gardens. We grew tons and tons of stuff last year, but I would go out and go, okay, I'm going to have a, a, a noodle bowl. So here's some bok choy and here's some, you know, this and here's some, you know, all these things. And I would just clip them, but we ate like 10% of all the shit we grew. So we fed it all back to the rabbits and to the chickens. And then we started canning and now we have tons of stuff canned up and we're running two, three pressure canners at a time. Like just the, the biggest thing is just do it. Don't, don't get caught in a Facebook group for two hours sitting on the toilet and your ass is numb when you could have literally planted enough food that you could feed your, you and your neighbors in that two hours of time. Yeah, and I agree with John on the miracle grow thing. I mean, if you go get a big-ass bag of 10-10-10 fertilizer, I'm not going to do it at this point in my life. But if you're doing your first garden and you have no idea what the fuck you're doing and that grows you food, that food will be a 100 times more nutritious than the food you buy in the supermarket, even if you buy organic food. It will be because it will be closer to its living essence when you consume it. In other words, you're going to cut it and you're going to fucking eat it. You're not going to flash freeze it like bird's eye, haul it across the country, stick it in a freezer section for, you know, six months before somebody buys it. That alone is going to make it a better quality thing. And then you're going to learn the skill when you start gardening. So starting your own seeds and for your plants, you're going to set out for the stuff you can't direct. sow. that's a skill making compost. That's a skill building a garden bed. That's a skill tending the garden. That's a skill, right? Harvesting, that's a skill. Preserving your food, that's six skills. And I'm probably leaving some shit out. Like how much to irrigate your basic management. There's seven, right? So you got seven skills that you're working on developing in that first year. If you can shortcut that, you know, you can all, all this shit where it's like, well, it's really hard to convert from conventional to, to non-conventional. As long as you're not spraying chemicals and poisons, you just simply stop using that fertilizer and start building tilt into your soil. And a lot, the one thing that people have going from they don't realize, assuming you don't live somewhere like I do on top of a rock, if you live somewhere with soil that already exists and you dig a bed in it, it will probably perform very well in its first year because there's probably a lot of fertility there. And you're going to spend more time developing soil structure than soil nutrient in that soil. Maybe there's a lot of clay in it and things like that, you know. And you can look in a lasagna gardening or, you know, Throw down cardboard and throw mulch on top of it and then plant your garden in the spring. Like, you can do worse than that. Um, but do it. Just fucking do it. Somebody asked if you can use electric pressure canners for canning. Yes. I run yes. two of them. I run the Prestos. We run them on the same outlet in the kitchen. So probably, you know, a 20-amp or 15-amp circuit in there. We run them. We never throw it. They do everything for you. We literally yep. set them and walk. I've got the big All-Americans. Yep. These, pre- these Presto things are so, so easy. This is what we use, too. I trade. I had a huge All-American, and when I got the electric canner, I don't generally do huge batches, 
So being able to do four courts in one of those, it's, that's about as much as I'm going to do in one go anyway. I bartered my freaking All-American because I didn't use it anymore. And I mean, there's a tip, too. If you have some shit you don't use Especially and you can right convert now. it to something you do use, yeah, you can get more money for it right now because go price one because the raw materials cost more. This shit, the, the inflation shit's not going away. I got a, a friend of mine. He's in design for construction. And their main roofing uh, materials providers have said that they are doing 10% increases automatic on all price for all materials every quarter for the next four quarters. That's a 46% annualized inflation rate on roofing materials. I got a buddy. Works that was before me. the fucking war, by the way, right? Yeah. Now it's, that's, that's amplifying now. Garage doors have gone up 300%. Go try to buy a roll-up steel garage door right now. It's insane. Somebody had asked, you know, I have so many um, projects going on on the compound videos all the time. How do I not get overwhelmed? What you see on the compound videos is about 10% of my normal day. Nicole can tell you she's been in here. While we we had 300 people, 350 people here, I still ran my normal day other than working here in the building. Yeah. Like, you just do it, man. Like people like 90% of people's problems with, with, with anything in their life is that they don't act like they just didn't do it. You sat there, thought about it, sat there, moped on it. It's literally, it's a light switch. You just have to click it in your head and go do it. That's why I had Lance talk. Like I wanted Lance to tell his story about dying and being blown up and having to go and learn how to read and write and do everything over again. Because the close to that is look what I'm doing now. None of you have any excuse. Yeah, I, and you can set it up, but it doesn't have to take a lot of time. If you follow instructions for lasagna mulching and keep up on the little weeds, then you don't get the big weeds, which take all the time. Some advice I should totally take for myself one of these years. The other, yeah, I, <laughs> you know. Nothing on him. He has a bunch of raised beds. He also has a lot of gravel. And the raised beds don't get weeds like they do in the ground. And there's nothing automated here. Everything I do, I do by hand. Yeah. We should automate your watering, though. I have it. I have I have the whole greenhouse. I have the whole watering kit for it. I've yeah. had it for two years. I just literally never got to do it, man. So it's at South Life Festival in June, are we doing a water install build? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> if you're asking me, I can't tell who you're looking at through the screen. If you're asking me, yeah. I haven't figured out if I can come up there yet or not. Oh, yeah, it'd be great if you could come up to Self-Reliance Festival. We'll talk about that offline and make a yeah. big announcement if you say yes. Okay. But that would be fun. So you're thinking about it. I'm thinking about it, but there's I've got two other commitments, and i got a wife vacation, and it's summer. and Tennessee yeah. is beautiful for vacation. Yeah, it is. Yep. Anyway, yeah, so Self-Reliance Festival, we just finished one about a week ago, and the next one's scheduled for June 11th. Not July. I think I said July 11th, June 11th and 12th. And we just heard from Billy Bond from Permapastures. He's going to be speaking about uh, he has a system. It's called the chicken tractor on steroids where he raises meat birds. They they produce compost and he's figured out how to feed them for free. And and that's a pretty cool little system he has there. He's also doing a pork processing workshop. That's an add on that will be launched this week on my website that we'll do Friday before self-reliance festival. So if you're coming anyway, you can camp Friday night. You can take that workshop camp Friday night and go through the whole weekend. We're going to have a really good time. And 
you know, maybe Jack will pop in. That would be kind of cool if he did. It would be cool if I can make it happen. I'd like to. Uh, I'll see what I can do. Yeah. So that's going to be a fun one. Um, if you want to get tickets, guys, it's selfreliancefestival.com. Uh, we've got tickets at $35, which is a steal of a deal through the end of this month. And then it will go up because more people equals more expenses. So closer we get, the higher the price. That's how that rolls. It's kind of like Southwest Airline tickets. Somebody somebody just asked, and I want to hear Jack's take on it, was Elon Musk retasking the satellites to provide Starlink for that area. My first thought is Russia just demonstrated a couple months ago that they can shoot down satellites. Yet you notice that Russia didn't shoot down any of these satellites. Yeah, that's actually interesting. Let's look at that, you know, communication shutdown thing alone. Putin seemed, and again, I'll get accused of being an apologist or some shit for Putin. It's just, and the analysts are saying this, Putin seems to be waging a very limited war. Like, there's no reason Russian forces couldn't have shut down the airspace over Ukraine in a day. When they went into Georgia, that's what they did. There was, they completely controlled the airspace. We still have Ukrainian jets providing support to, to ground troops, and they haven't done that. They, they could easily target communications and shut down all of the TV broadcasting out of Ukraine so Ukraine can't tell their side of the story. They've left all that in place. It's, it's an odd thing. I don't even know that Starlink is going to do much over Ukraine. Like, Does that mean that the average Ukrainian has the – the kit that they need to use it. Correct. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and is internet down in Ukraine? Cause I keep seeing these like, uh, appeal to emotion videos of these young girls talking about having to sleep in a shelter, but they are all dressed up like Instagram models. Like something's a little bizarre there. So I just look at Musk and I, I, I have things about Musk. I like and things I dislike. I definitely don't think he's like totally one of us. I think there's a part of him that wants to be, but he just can't commit because there's so much money and not, coming all the way over, um, and he's also a publicity whore. So how simple is this? All of a sudden, Elon Musk is freaking uh, Tony Stark from Iron Man. Like, he's got that image that he's trying to portray. I'll just move some satellites over there. They won't do a fucking thing, right? Because if you want to become, become a Starlink customer, I think it's like 500 bucks to buy the shit, the little dish and all that you set up so you can use it. So what good is that satellite? Now, I, I don't want it. I could be wrong. Maybe the case is that the local ISPs can harness that bandwidth and provide it to their customers somehow. I, I don't know. But to me, it just seems like publicity bullshit to me. Yeah. I mean, how, how, how does Little Miss Ukraine access the Starlink satellite? No one has an answer, but everybody thinks he's a hero. I think he's a fucking genius financially. I know my neighbor accesses it with a thing. And loves it. Yeah. Yeah, but you have to have the thing. You have to have the thing. Yeah. How do you get the thing in Ukraine right now when there's no commercial (laughs) air flights in and out of Ukraine? Yeah. Yeah. Did he, did he send like C-130 carrying 10,000 of the things? (laughs) And rain them down? Who knows? Drop them from little parachutes with Elon's picture on them. That would be, that would be kind of fucking cool. Okay. I would be like, okay, that was badass, but I, I don't think that happened. I don't think it did either. All right. What are the odds the U.S. stays out of this? It depends on how you mean the question, right? Like, we're already not out of this. Yeah, we're in it. We're fucking getting all these countries to lay all these sanctions on Russia. We basically pilfered $640 million from them in the first round of sanctions, literally took that money away from them. Um, so we're involved. The odds that we stay out of this from a military conflict, I think, are very high. 
because I think that ginning up the concept of war is very advantageous to the people in power. Actually engaging in a fucking war with Russia, not so much. Like, this can be, like, why would they do this right now? To justify more laws, more regulations, more alphabet agencies, more surveillance, more munitions, more weapons, that it seems to me our government has more interest turning on its own people than on supposed adversaries. So I think we're going to use this as some kind of puppet show. My one fear is that historically the the world has a habit of getting into wars over stupid shit that should never have led to the world wars. Yeah, assassination of a fucking archduke should not have led led to World War One. World War Two was impossible without the punitive things that the U.S. and France and England threw on top of Germany, and then willingfully allowing Germany to build back up and literally contributing to it. And they go, oh, fuck, I don't know what happened. I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but IG Farvin was the company that mixed the fuels for the Nazi jets, and they were a subsidiary of Standard Oil, which fucking Prescott Bush, which is George Bush, the elders, fucking dad, like the younger one's grandfather, was fucking selling the additive to the fucking Nazis so their jets could get off the ground while his son was in the Pacific theater serving as a fighter, right? So a a fighter jet pilot, right? I mean, you can never underestimate their willingness to make money off of war. I mean, this the, the, you know, Pink Floyd song, the dogs of war is, is ringing in my head right now, but they can make so much more money by not getting into a direct conflict with Russia. Cause I think if we get into a direct conflict with Russia, the potential for the use of nuclear weapons is seriously there. And that changes the, the schematics for everybody. That's, that's literally what kept us in this tenuous peace for the last 70 years. We had war everywhere, but we have not had broad scale global warfare everywhere. Taiwan, people keep trying to tie that in. That's a different thing. Like if the Chinese go into fucking Taiwan, we will fucking hit them because our interests there are totally different and our relationship there is totally different. And now for something completely different. When should you get rid of expired medical gear? Never. <laughs> no fucking such thing. Fucking if it's breaking, not breaking down, I guess. Most of the most of the stuff you're calling medical gear are dry goods, right? You're talking bandages and stuff like that. Quick clot. The expiration date is not on the product; it's on the contents. And a lot of that is just for military contract stuff. I have I know a dude who checks in all of these units that come back when they come from overseas and all of that shit, all of the contents of the medical pouch to include the multi-tools, the the bandages, I mean everything, the, the Benchmade hook, they go in trash cans. They literally go in dumpsters and then they get issued new shit. And that's all contract money. That's just creating new dollars. And that, like, they're, the quick clot doesn't expire. The original thermogenic stuff, if you go back 20 years ago, there were some issues with it. But all of the all of the dates on all the goods now, it's on the packaging and it's required by the FDA. Yeah, and I look at dates on stuff like that as, you know, if it's getting brittle and falling apart or rotting, if it's gauze, which can happen if you store it wrong. Like in the sun. But if it has an expiration date and it's gauze is gauze, then I'm gonna keep my gauze. Now be aware of guys storing sutures, um the, the breakdown, the sutures that absorb and the, dissol- the dissolvable sutures, those will dissolve over time. Okay. Most of your other stuff, your synthetics and stuff, they're fine. 
Yeah, and then on medications, this is one of the biggest scams on the planet. There was a military study done on this that they literally buried, and when I put it out, I was actually risking being attacked legally for putting it out because um, they don't want it out. And it basically says nothing happens to medications other than the efficacy declines over time. So the worst thing that would happen if you had some penicillin well stored and it was 10 years old is if you were giving it to somebody while you were being your own doctor during a grid down shit at the fan and it wasn't working, you would give them a little bit more. Right. And I've had, I've had Doc and Amy on the show and they've talked about all of this and, you know, they've got a medical doctor and advanced practitioner uh, NP and they're both saying the same thing. So military published study on that. You can, you can find it. It's on the internet and they spent years and a lot of money testing drugs at 15, 20, 25 years. And that, that's what they were talking about. I, I heard when you interviewed them, they had, they cited that as well. Yeah. And it's, it's legal for it to be there, but it's illegal to distribute. So they paid for it with our fucking money and they, they tell us we're not allowed to distribute it. Yeah. It's not classified or anything like that either. Like it's just, no, you're not allowed. I don't even know if it really is or if they've just said that to like quash people doing it or to justify social media censorship. Yeah. It's continuity of government, not continuity of society. Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. very insightful. You need a shirt that says that. Yeah. yeah. We do. We've yeah, got some, we've got some coming out. We're gonna see that next week, right? You need one that says I monetize trolls. <laughs> yeah. I said that in my interview with Adam Curry. He's like, I'm writing that the fuck down. Yeah. <laughs> and they can I learn that they from you, video. man. Just be just because one guy does a shirt that says trolls doesn't yeah. mean I won't sell 120 of them in five minutes. If, yeah. Like if you see me do a shirt other than my trademark stuff, use the same damn logos. I stole them from somewhere. <laughs> hmm, okay. Dungeon Gardens, where did that come from? Yeah. <laughs> I don't give a shit. I'm the same way, man. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's the prosperity mindset instead of the scarcity mindset right there in action. Okay, we got a pressure canner. It's more than 50 pounds full. It has a warning about glass top stoves. Has anyone ever had a problem with weight on those? I can answer this question. I've not personally had a problem with weight on those. I have pressure canned on glass top stoves carefully. But pressure canning in a big canner is less weight than water bath canning because you have about this much water in the bottom of that thing versus full. And I have a good friend who did crack it. And I don't know if it was the weight or the heat, but she sent me a picture of her canner falling through her glass top. So I would be careful with that. If you're worried about it, um, the Camp Chef stove that Jack has at, um, is it, what is it? TSP, what's your Amazon? I'm getting the link link right now. I'll get the link for you. That thing is what I can on outside because I don't want the heat in my house. It's not that expensive. And it's, you hook it up to a propane tank. It does a great job canning. It gets hot enough. Because the other problem with a glass top stove for canning is it takes for flipping ever to get the water up to temperature on one of those things in that big of a volume. So that's literally everybody should own that stove or one similar to it where you can cook with gas outside of your house for completely different reasons. You know, um, it's a lifestyle thing. You know, before I got my Blackstone, it was how I would make eggs for breakfast and a Bloody Mary on a Saturday morning. And I still sometimes I want to drag my Blackstone up on my pool deck. So I will still go up there sometimes and, you know, we'll cook out and, and have morning at the pool in a summer day. Uh, if the power goes out, I have a gas stove, but if you don't, now you do. A hundred bucks 
a hundred yeah. bucks and, and there's an adapter you can get for it and you can run grill tanks on it or you can run the little one pounders. My one thing on that stove, if you're running the one pounders, don't fucking try to run both burners at the same time. It will freeze the little one pound tank. Also, Camp Chef makes one of those that has an oven next to it. So you can, yep. make, I know you guys don't eat bread, but all you guys storing a million, you know, pounds of wheat, they oh, have a, they have one that's got an oven on that thing. Yep. That's cool. Okay, my large mouth ball jars have been cracking on bottoms. Minor heat shock. Don't know why. Um, well, I would reduce the heat shock. My experience with uh, ball jars in the last three years is they're not as good. I lose one from every 24 on the first batch of canning, and it's the bottom cracking off. The other thing is be really careful about not slamming them down. Because the other way that happens is if you drop them in the canner and let them sort of float down the water, that can be enough to crack the bottom. Those are the only two things I have. It's like quality hasn't been as good. They could be getting old if they're older ones. And then really be careful with banging them around because they're not as strong as they used to be. Jack, you have any thoughts on that or John? On the not, on the not as strong thing, when we were asshole little kids, we used to shoot mom's canning jars with BB guns all the time. And they didn't break. Half the time yeah. they wouldn't break. I haven't shot a ball jar in a long time, but thing, things are not like they used to be. They they have built in planned obsolescence to them. Agreed. Um, I would also say that like what you said about when you set them in, you can set a jar down and like, oh, I didn't crack it. Yeah. But you did. You put a micro fissure in it, and then thermal shock will cause that fissure to expand. That's usually what happens. Or you know they don't exactly take a lot of care when they ship these things around. So sometimes it's not maybe that it was manufactured poorly, but it was handled in a way that was rough. It didn't actually break. You didn't see a break. It created that micro fissure. And my experience has been, you do get, you know, about one out of two dozen that, that, that break, but the ones that don't break the first time, unless you do something stupid, they don't break the second, the third, the fourth time. So I think it's more damage in route um, you know, when you order shit from Amazon and the guy fucking throws it over the fence and shit, like yeah. that's happening all the time. And they're like, no, I didn't. I'm like, well, here's my surveillance fucking video of you throwing it over the fucking fence. So I think you did. And by the way, I know it was you because I don't think the other guy drives a car exactly like yours. You know, it's usually not the guy in the, the Sprinter van. It's the independent delivery guy that does that shit, you know. Um, so that would be that. And the other thing is make sure you're using the little wire rack in the bottom. You're not. Sitting yeah. straight down on the bottom of the canner. The electric canner comes with one. I, I remember my All American had like a, uh, it was like, it looked almost like it was aluminum, but I don't think it was. And it, it held the cans up off the bottom. And I think you're a lot more likely to one cause a microfracture when you're hitting something like the solid bottom of the, the canner. Uh, and then the other thing you're more likely to do is transfer the heat directly into the can instead of through the thermal, uh, relationship with the liquid or the stain. That makes sense. I am not a canning expert. That's my best. Well, hey, it all works. I know John Willis is a canning expert, right? Uh, on everything. On everything. <laughs> Absolutely. Just, just ask someone and they'll tell you. <laughs> all right. Any other things we want to talk about today? I, I actually kind of wanted to bring up the difference between building, preparing into your life versus panic prepping. Right now, I'm hearing a lot about panic prepping, and it revolves around buying MREs and rice and beans and storing up as much food as possible because if we have more supply chain disruptions, we're not going to have enough food to eat. 
And how much cash should I have at home? That's another big one. When people are in this mindset of panic prepping, I mean, I guess if you have nothing at home at all, it can't hurt you to have some food that you buy quickly. But Jack's way of building it into your life through, uh, you call it copy canning, right? Yeah. Yeah, I that's stole that from Ron Hood just to be. Talk about yeah. that a little bit, because I think that's a really good approach to figuring out how to develop a deep pantry. And if you think about it as a deep pantry, you're always pulling from, you end up in a more solid place. Yeah. I mean, like when I was a teenager, one of my first jobs is I worked as a stock boy in a local supermarket. And when the new food would come in, we would, you know, pull everything to the front and stack it behind it. Or if it was in a situation where we had to, we'd actually pull it off the shelf stack everything in the back and put the, the oldest stuff in the front. It's called fronting merchandise. And we should be doing that with our pantries. And we call it copy canning because it sounds cool and because that's what Ron Hood came up with, right? But it's really, don't think of it as canning. It's any food item that your family regularly uses that stores without being in the freezer or the refrigerator. So you go to the store, let's say, can of fucking some kind of canned chili, and you, your family eats it, and they eat maybe a can a week. So when you go to the store, you usually buy a can. We'll buy two, put them in the pantry. Next week, buy two. Next week, buy two. And do that until you have a month, two, three months worth of that product, and then do another product. And if you do that, you slowly move into the situation where basically you're running your pantry like the shelf at a grocery store. You know, they don't buy in this shipment as much as they need for today. They buy until their next resupply. And that's and then they, they want a buffer. They want to you gotta start thinking of everything in your life is a battery. When you do an aquaponic system, your sump is a water battery. Your pantry is a food battery. And how long can you draw at it before you have to plug it back in and recharge it? And to me, that's really simple. And the whole concept of building it in your life versus this panicking, first of all, I don't fucking understand somebody who after two and a half years of this COVID pandemic bullshit <laughs> is suddenly freaked out by a potential war with Ukraine and Russia. Like, where, where, where have you been? Like, didn't you see, like, you literally, what happened is they panicked. This is like second stage panic, right? Like, they panicked at the beginning of COVID. Once they could get toilet paper and bottled water again, they went back to life as normal. They spent their stimulus trucks on Netflix and shit like, checks on Netflix and shit like that. And now they're like, holy shit, there could be World War III. As though having, if we'd actually have nuclear war, as though having cash on hand and a couple bags of potato chips is going to keep you alive. It, it's insanity and it is the fear reaction of the unprepared when the need for preparedness becomes evident to those who otherwise do not see it. that That's that's what this is. And I almost, you know, I, I, I try to be as gentle as I can with people and getting them on board. But I, I, I'm at a point now where I'm, I'm literally out of patience for that group of people. The person that's like, I just want to get started, I need to get started, whatever, fine. I will take them by the hand, I will walk them through it, and either they do or they don't. The person that's freaking out, like, I, I can't help you because you're not in a state where you're helpable, right? It's not possible to help you right now because what you're focused on is so fucked up from what you actually need to be doing. You'd be better off figuring out, like you should have done 10 years ago right now, how the fuck can I make extra money? How can I build a side hustle? How can I build a business? When COVID started, Nicole, I had you on, like, it was the second show after it really all hit. And what did we talk about? Building a fucking business, Everybody wanted to freak out. What can you spray in your ass to not get COVID or some shit like that? What kind of fucking thing can you wrap around your face and, 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 and not get the plague? And we're like, hey, you need to like get started building a business. 
that advice has not changed. I, I lost wow. listeners because when they were freaking out, I said, look, you're supposed to be like my audience. I mean, you're supposed to be preppers. Quit freaking the fuck out over the fluke. You know, I had people lose their shit on me. People didn't listen to me for 10 years flip out. Some of them came back once it became evident. Some of them didn't. But panicking never works. And then be creative. Like if you really want to add something to your preps and you can't get it through a normal channel because everybody's buying there, yeah. is there another way? I'll give you one example because I don't want to ruin them all, right? <laughs> but like people bought out all the fucking grain at like Honeyville and shit like that when COVID started. And they're like, I can't get wheat. I can't even get wheat or barley. Well, fucking first of all, why do you think you need it, right? Why do you need 500 pounds of barley all of a sudden? But I'm like, you want wheat or barley? Go to your feed store. Do you think it's really different wheat or different barley at your feed store? Go to a homebrew website. You can buy all the fucking wheat and barley you want freaking at a homebrew store right now. And I was I was also sending people to like stores like Webstaurant, which serves mainly the restaurant industry. No fucking problem. Buy whatever you want. But the places that were getting pounded were the ones that were in short supply. And the whole reason that we do this in the first place, guys, is so that we don't have to be adding to the fucking problem when everybody freaks out. Like preppers get called hoarders. We're not hoarders. We're preppers. We take in a time of surplus. We create our own surplus. And then we are not a drain on the system when there's a problem. And so if you're freaking out right now, I'm sorry. You got yourself to blame. I'm you not a hoarder. And one more thing, and I'll let you go, John. If you ever did a fucking dr- duck and cover drill in grade school, shut the fuck up about World War fucking three. You have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Turn the goddamn TV off and get your ass to doing something important in your life. Because the scare tactics you're using right now for what's going on is inconsequential compared to the things that people our age actually watched happen in the world in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I'm sorry I'll stop. I'm not a hoarder. I buy a truckload of shit every weekend. I, I have. For for the last 10 years, we go out of town every weekend, and I come back with a truckload of shit every weekend. Not uh, whether things are good or th- people think things are bad. But what, the, what you're really seeing here, it really is, it's the difference between a business owner and an employee, a lot of it, right? Because your panic buyers are not business owners. They don't run a business. They don't have a... We don't, I don't even call them side hustles anymore. I don't want somebody to have a hobby where they make some money. I want them to have a business where it is their, their life is their business and they don't have to rely on anybody else. But I, I'm going to make $2 million off of this, this war shit right now with everybody buying stuff. I'm literally going to sell $2 million in product that I would not have sold. But I'm not selling it to my viewers. I'm not selling it to my audience. I'm selling it to the guy that is looking for anything he can buy, and I actually have the product because we're building it currently. Anytime we're going to war, I'm building rigs, but the homeowner doesn't need a warfighter rig. He needs a smaller rig, and I can build 48 of them in a day. So we're gonna we're building those. We do it all the time. During COVID, it was constantly we built nothing but slings and micro rigs. That's literally all we made, and we did millions of dollars in sales of that. But I'm not telling my viewers to watch that. I'm actually trying to change my entire business model so that in the near future, you can't even come and buy from me. You have to be referred as an existing, as an existing customer because we've built my entire lifestyle is 10 acres on this property. I don't want to sit in this building. I don't want to have to do all of this, but people are constantly going out. But what I want to say is what if I see it all the time in these prepper groups that I'm in? It, it drives me crazy. I've got $20 to spend. Oh, fuck. If you have $20 to spend, 
Turn the $20 into $40.8163320. I need you to think like that. I don't want you to, what if, what if that really is what it is? If this is all by design to dumb population down into spending their money so that they cannot have seed money to start a business and they have to remain an employee. It's the same thing with the tiny houses. It's the same thing with, with, you know, city planning, right? You can't buy a piece of property and put a little house. You have to build a 2,500-square-foot house because a 2,500-square-foot home comes with a water bill, an electric bill, 2.5 children. It comes with a tax base. It comes with a wife who's going to work. It's all about taxes. It's about keeping you a slave to their systems. And if you just took that money and stopped panic buying bullshit and put it into something that would make you money, I want you to take whatever money you're going to go and spend on macaroni and cheese this weekend and figure out how to take that money and your hobby and double that money by Monday. That's what I want you to do. And if you have any questions about that, hit me up. I, I, I would le- I would rather you not do any business with my company. And in two years, I want to come to you or you come to me and I'll go, Hey, let's co-brand this and I'll buy 144 units. That's a gross. You put my logo on them and I'll take your shit and I'm going to raise the value of your price because you're not charging enough for it. I'm going to take and sell your shit for 50% more and everything you make without my logo, you're going to now charge 30% more for it. You know, I got an idea for a product for you. Occasionally you come out with products that are more like uh, a fun product. Yes. Right. And a lot of times they're like seasonally oriented. Yes. There's a shitload of people that have chickens or ducks that pick up eggs and they, they have just too many eggs every day. Yes. Right. <laughs> Yes. To, to carry in their hands or put in their pockets pocket. and break, right? Yeah. And, but they don't yeah. need a fucking basket that carries like 50 eggs like I have, right? You need to make, cause you already have all the shit, a fucking grenade bandolier. I saw somebody did that. Somebody <laughs> call it the egg delir and sell it for the Easter fucking holiday. Well, that's a good idea. We should. And if that. nothing and else, you, got, you still got to, it still handles grenades, right? Yeah. But the grenade pouches are the perfect size for a freaking egg. And I think you can do like, 24 or something like that in an egg lear. Cause you could totally do your Rambo. You know, you could have your yeah, 37 yeah. millimeter. I'd use it for social media photo ops. I'd hang that motherfucker Please. right outside of my door. Yeah. And <laughs> we, <laughs> do, we do that. We just did a chef's hat a couple months ago. We just did aprons and now we've got a mini tool apron out, which is awesome for gardening and crafts and stuff. Now we know what you said. Bandolier, re- remove the B-A-N and add A. I, I fucked it up, but they'll know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> you might not get, uh, you know. Let's see the comments, guys. Who would buy an egg? That's totally fucking wrong, but that's typing with one hand <laughs> off to the side. So, egg Bandolier, who'd buy one, man? Because if enough of you do it, he'll fucking make them. So the way we the way we do this is we, we for Easter, for instance, right? We're going to run. I'll tell you this. Every business does this. I just tell you what other businesses don't tell you. For Easter, we run some free promo item that you get for free, but you have to buy $50 worth of stuff to get it. That's why I sell patches and I sell stickers and we sell merchandise that we don't actually have to manufacture. I sell gummy bears. Highest profit margin in my building is gummy bears. I have gummy bears come on my property 5,000 pounds on a pallet. We use a forklift to unload them. We rebag them and we sell the shit out of gummy bears. I shouldn't even be telling you guys this. Highest profit margin in my entire business. It buys fucking cars, like the profit margin on gummy bears. So guys want that free thing. 
we don't ever rebuild the free thing, but they'll place four, five, six orders to get the free thing. And then they take the free thing and they put it on eBay, buy it now for $50, $65, and they sell multiples of them. And whatever they wanted in their order, they just got free. And that's, oh, that's how we do it. And the, the orders just come through. We'll go, instead of having 200 orders in a week, we'll have 750 to 1,000 orders to get the free trinket. And it's always something usable. We call it an, an Easter egg pouch, but it's really a tourniquet pouch that Velcros into their, their bag or whatever. So mm-hmm. it always has a secondary use, a real use. Yeah, you monetize everything. You monetize fucking snakes. And you're smarter than how I did it back when I used to breed them. Yeah. And I used to breed the shit out of them and I would sell them. I I never made any real money on it. And John's like, fuck that. Let other people breed them. Buy a shitload of them cheap. That's why that guy's never going to make any real money unless he comes up with some real exciting morph and then sell them. And I'm like, that's so much smarter. Because because 12 snakes fit in a box and you're paying $55 to ship one where mm-hmm. you get the other 11 ride for free. I had so many snakes that Nicholas Cage's snake dude came here from Las Vegas and worked for me for two years. Yeah. Yeah. That's badass. I had, I had enough that when I quit doing it, I got a fucking letter from, uh, mysonice.com yeah. asking yep. what they did wrong. Yeah, like, right Why did we lose your yeah. business? I'm like, cause I don't have snakes. I got like four snakes now. I don't need to buy. Cause I used to buy like, I had a chest freezer. Just for mice and rats. That's how you got one too. See, I just had one melt down. Oh, oh, wow. yeah. oh it sucks. Yeah, oh, losing a freezer sucks. Websterant, when nobody had freezers, Websterant had chest freezers. Four hundred fifty wow. bucks in shipping. They put it on a semi truck. I had it here the next day. We kept a bunch of freezers outside, and just from the cold outside and not maintaining the freezer, the freezer died. We found it probably guessing 10 days after it had been had been dead and it was full of rats and mice so i have a whole video of it the most disgusting thing in the world like i was literally gagging so we we pulled the skid steer in and by hand pulled those rotted down bags of mice and filled the bucket and drove it to the to the dumpster luckily they were picking up the dumpster the same day now with that said that company sent us a brand new compressor and Tad was here yesterday, and that freezer is now back running and brand new. So great company. We've bought stuff from Websterant many times. Now, I get why you did it now, because it was a really expensive, badass freezer. When I lost mine, it was like a little cheapo one, and it wasn't a mouse one. I had, like, deer meat and shit in it, right? Okay. Oh, it was so fucking bad. I opened Like, we went on vacation. It was two weeks in the Texas sun, yes. and I had that fate whiff, and I'm like, what the? And I walked over, and I, I just barely cracked it, and I nearly threw up. I freaking duct taped it shut, yeah. put it on a dolly, pushed it out to the curve, called a junk company, and just said, get it the fuck out of here. Yeah. And they were, the guy was like, is there like a body in there or something? I'm like, if you really want to open it, you can. But I would. <laughs> right? He's like, I ain't opening that shit. You know? <laughs> and another dude threw it on the back of a truck and, and took it away, man. Uh, yeah. But what we're talking about with business here, like, I want to talk about what, you know, we call it the toolbox fallacy, but it's like the toolbox homestead fallacy that keeps so many people from making any fucking money. Like, I hear this all the time. I'm going to get a homestead, and I'm going to do pasture chicken. I'm going to have a market garden. I'm going to sell it. And I'm like, well, right now, you prob- if you're thinking about moving to a homestead, you're going to move out. So right now, you probably live where there's a lot of fucking people. People are what buy shit. Lettuce doesn't transport well, right? And, and, you know, eggs and shit like that either, especially in, like, small scale, don't transport well. But I bet you there's a lot of people already doing that around. Why don't you go out? 
and start building a book of business for product and matching up people with product producers and be the middleman and simply run a co-op and deliver locally produced shit to your people and then start saying to yourself, there are things we can't get locally, but I can, you know, follow the John thing and instead of buying one snake, buy 12. Right. So you can maybe bring in some really high quality food products as well. You do have to bring in, but now you already have a customer base and you basically build a catalog and your customers order food from you every week. And the only thing you need is a busted ass fucking pickup truck and a trailer that you can do for a couple thousand bucks and you can be in business. Oh, you really want to freaking raise pasture poultry? And you don't have space. Well, have you even looked to see if there's any agricultural land that you can lease? Or if you call somebody up and they're like, yeah, I already got a guy leasing land. Well, what's he doing? He's doing cattle. Your chicken aren't going to get in the fucking way. Do you think maybe that cattle guy might like a little bit of his cost on the lease offset? So you bring in your salatin style chicken tractors behind his cattle. Now your food bill goes down. The pasture's getting even better and you have portable infrastructure because you can move your tractors if you need to. Or you can just keep talking about one day, man. Yeah. One day, man, I'm going to get a homestead and I'm going to have to take 10 fucking years to build it up and you're going to be 65 years old before you sell an egg. You know what that is? That's the, that's the guy with the multicolor car. Oh, yeah, multicolor car guy. He's my yeah. favorite. I yeah. bet that motherfucker's still there in Pottsville. Yeah, I bet he is because when I got out of the Army, he was still at it. When I went back home in 2003, multicolor car guy from my high school still had the multicolor car. For those that haven't heard this before, it's the guy in high school who has the old car, and it's got a red fender and a white hood and Bondo everywhere and fucked up ball tires. And he's always like, man, one day when I get some money, I'm going to finish this car and I'm going to have Krager mags and I'm going to do the interiors to be black and red. And like the image of what he's presenting is beautiful. I would love to do that to that car. But you look at that guy and you're like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Cause you're never going to do anything except. And I knew guys that had money that could have done it. They were an auto body and didn't do it with their own car. Cause they were always spending their own money cause they got on fucking dope and they were working like 18 hours a day doing auto body work, but they were literally like, so I work harder so I can make more money so I can buy more speed so I can work harder. Like people get in, whether it's drugs or anything, they get in these ruts and they work. It's not that they don't work hard. We have two kinds of broke people, people that don't do shit and they're broke. Fuck you. You deserve it. People that work their ass off, but work poorly who are broke. Those are the ones that like literally all you have to do is take the energy and redirect it. And you can have as much wealth as you want to build. They're usually older than us too. What's that? They've been in high school longer than we have. Oh yeah. They're usually, they, they, usually <laughs> they take a while to, uh, or they quit, right? They mine, never was, mine was, I wanted a Ford Mustang, but every Thursday when Auto Trader came out, I would buy all of the Auto Traders, right? And I'd buy all of the Mustang magazines. I had mm-hmm. enough, I had enough money in publications that I could have bought the damn car. Yeah. Yeah. My uncle was like that. I remember when he passed on and I went up in the attic and he had like, Fucking every like seventies hot rod magazine and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I tried to get some money for it. I'm like, maybe this is collectibles. I think I got like 15 bucks for all of it. <laughs> it was all worthless shit sitting in the, in the, in the, you know, I thought somebody would care about like a 1969 hot rod magazine with a, a you know, early Porsche on the cover. And it, apparently unless it's been perfectly preserved, no, they really don't. So that was, that was how much money he spent on that shit instead of actually buying a car. I don't know. Yeah. I'd spend 30, 40 bucks, you know, every week on it. It's the dream instead of instead of building the dream, right? Yes. Yeah. And I think people like that, what they're really doing, if I try and I fail, then the dream might go away. And it's a much safer thing to convince yourself that out in the future, there's this wonderful thing for me. 
And if, if, if you, if you corrupt the dream, then it will go away and you won't have it anymore. But by dashing, right? Your dash of how long you have to fucking live is shorter every fucking day. And how old are you going to be? Like, you know, guys like, like, like all three of us here, we're all about the same age. We've lived more than half our lives unless, you know, some life extension technology comes along and we're not fucking slowing down. We're not fucking waiting. And I think God, if I had waited till now, I'd be fucked. I wouldn't have anything. I'm 50. If I had moved at 30, (laughs) like I move at 50 now. Things would be completely different. Yeah. You'd be a billionaire. Yeah. Yeah. If I had learned to focus on one thing at a time, which I don't do all the time, but I do in the morning from eight till noon. If I had just learned that, I'd be way better. It took me till I was almost 50 to learn that. Yeah. And And then 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 you make the decision, like, why am I doing this? Is it getting me anywhere? Or is it just like mental masturbation today? Yeah. Absolutely. And then you have to figure out like you have to design like lifestyle design when it comes to like business is not just about a business that works, but a business that fits you. Like yeah. I couldn't run a business like John does because I would fucking kill every employee I had. <laughs> I, 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 when I was in my thirties, I was running fairly large corporations. One of my corporations that I was COO of had uh, 2,500 contractors all around the world and about 50 employees in the same building as me. And I literally got this close one time to throwing an employee through the window. That's not my skill set, right? Like I'm not good at dealing with people who I'm paying money who don't fucking work, right? That's, that's not what I'm good at. Now, people that do work, they think I'm the greatest boss you could ever have. But John, you've talked about it. How many, what's the percentage of employees that really work and earn the money you're paying them? It's, it's rather low. 10% Um, of your employees do 80% of your work. First thing I do when I get up in the morning, no matter what time it is, is look to see who has already called in and isn't coming to work. I'm this, I'm that, I'm this. I go, that must be nice. Like, I don't, I, I have always been here to pay your payroll. Like, your payroll always gets paid whether yeah. my wife has had surgery the same day you've got payroll. But that, that's just how it always is. My friend Rob says, you know, um, we, I have to have a human resources guy because my human resources skills are, so have a seat. Um, yeah, you're fucking fired. Like that's literally, that's Rob. And he runs a giant company now. It's it's a very growing company. So to, to maintain, you just have to come to the mindset that you're going to have to employ 50% of your people and they do 20%. You have to have, you have to have five employees to do what one employee should do. Yeah. I had a time when I was in outside plant construction and I, this is back when cell phones were just coming out and I got everybody in Nextel. So yeah, everybody yeah, could just immediately communicate, right? Yeah. And I said, if you, it wasn't even about not being at work. Like, I would literally have to move machines around. We have a machine, you know, like a $200,000 machine that we have a lease on. If it's not running, we're burning fucking money. So I might, yes. because you're going to be 10 minutes late, I might actually send somebody else to a different job and make adjustments. And I'll, I'll deal with the 10 fucking minutes, but I need to know. And so I gave everybody an extra like, if you're going to be fucking late, and that means one minute. You need to, and as soon as you know you're going to be late, hit me up on Nextel. Let me know I'm going to adjust what the crews are doing that day. And I have guys show up 10, 15 minutes late. And I would just, I was just like, you know what? I, I need to teach you a lesson. And I'd rather that machine sit for a fucking day than you think you can fucking do this. So you just go home and you don't get paid today. And if you do it again tomorrow, you're fucking fired. And they would literally do it again tomorrow and think they weren't fucking fired. Yeah. And it's like, give me your shit. Pack your shit, get the fuck out. And my partner was always like, we can't do that. We need manpower. I'm like, we don't need motherfuckers that don't show up. Yeah. Right. You know, so you need to talk to him more like a father. I'm like, well, you don't know my dad. 
Cause that was pretty <laughs> gentle compared yeah. like, and maybe that's why I am the way I am. But like what I've learned over the years is of course your employees don't want it as much as you, or they wouldn't be employees. And that's not that being an employee makes you inherently bad or anything, but you don't want it as much as the entrepreneur or you'd be a fucking entrepreneur. Or when you find those employees, you know what happens, John? They, they work their ass off for you. They're worth their weight in fucking gold. You pay them, you take good care of them, and they leave. And they don't leave because they're mad at you. And they don't leave because there's some discrepancy. They simply advance to the point where they say, I have learned all I can inside this organization. And I'm either going to move up by moving over or I'm going to do my own thing. And I never was angry at that person, but it, it makes that revolving door all the worse because then you lose somebody that actually was pulling the weight for you. Because, because ultimately that's what we want, right? As we raise children or we, we raise employees, you have to develop them. I want a guy that comes in and is hungry and I will build him and I will build him to the point where we're going to put him into a new position or create a new position because he's so valuable. But most of the guys come in and they do what it takes to get the job. They don't do what it takes to keep the job. Most of the people, like I will put a lot of energy into an employee. But once you demonstrate a threshold that you can operate at this level, you don't ever get to go back down. Once you're at that level, that comes with a pay increase. But you don't ever get a pay increase and be able to do less than that. That is your new minimum. And when we yep. have people like that, I will, I've helped guys set up companies. We've put them in positions to do things we can do business with, but they're very few and far between because most guys that truly want to work, they already work. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I was probably the only person that was uh, insane enough that I literally bought copies of Tim Ferriss's four hour work week yeah. and gave them to my employees. And the guy's like, really, if I got an assistant and I paid for it out of my pocket and they didn't have my job, you're like, why the fuck would I care? Is your job done? You know what that's going to do? That's going to move you into fucking management if you actually do it. None of them ever did. But it was just like open the fucking mind of what's possible, right? People are like, well, if you do that, they might all do it. I'm like, I wish they would. Right. As long as the work gets done the way I want it done, if they can be entrepreneurial in their job, then maybe I can build them. And it is it is parenting. It's working yourself out of a job. Like if you're a good mentor, you shouldn't have to be a mentor to somebody forever. That's basically being a sponge and pulling off of them. Like the guy that wants to sell you a mentorship program for five grand or something like that. I'm not going to do it. because It's going to make me fucking miserable. I used to do consulting, too. And you go in and you roll out a program for a company and then they don't do it. And they want to pay you again to do it again and not act on it. Most people are like, fuck it. You can keep paying me. I I put too much into what I do. I can't do that. That's why I'm a solo podcaster now, because I can pay for everything I want in my life sitting here behind my desk talking to y'all. And I certainly don't fucking apologize for it. Most guys selling mentorships have never built anything. No, they built a mentorship business. And guys that have built things continue to build shit and don't have time to mentor. Absolutely. This is a good question. I've been running my gig for real since COVID. I'm at the point I need another person with me. Best way to find good help. You got children? Develop your kids. Do you have a wife? What does your wife do? Would you like your wife to be home and not have to go out and have that commute, right? I am lucky that I have a 16,000 square foot building. You can't have, I, I feel that there cannot be a 50-50 partnership. It's got to be 49-51, right? There has to be a deciding factor when it's said. And sometimes when that happens, I don't like the way that happened with what Amanda said or Amanda doesn't like something I said, but we're still able to work and maneuver around in a giant ass building. Now, in your apartment, that might be very different and that might be the end of your relationship. If that ends your relationship, maybe it wasn't meant to be, 
But I know, I know Jack's wife handles all of his booking and does all the stuff that Jack doesn't do. And Amanda does everything here that I don't do. So that really is the best thing. And if you have children, you can put children on payroll and not have to pay payroll tax and taxes on your kids. It's just like you just have to, it, it depends. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to go there because I'm, I'm not real good at it. I burn out. You know, I, I've hired since I've gone into this and moved here. The only people I've hired are like call them farmhands and they're basically kids I give random jobs on the farm to mentor yeah. them. We've got and to. that doesn't even really work out, you know. Um, Gasoline in your diesel truck. Yeah, that's what I got for that. And and the kid was dumb. And instead of just telling me he didn't know, he tried to do it anyway. And, like, there's a lesson there. Like, when you're young and stupid, there's things you can try anyway. And if you mess it up, it's no big deal. But putting gas in a diesel truck, that's a problem. Especially when it's loaded down with, like, four tons of shit. That, <laughs> and stuck on a, on a blind curve. That was a... That kid called me, John. I swear to God, I thought he killed the family with the truck. He had an accident. He was complete fucking mental shutdown. And I'm like, I'll call AAA. That's why I have it. I'll come down and get you in about 10 minutes. He's like, 10 minutes? I'm like, there's no fucking reason for me to show up until the tow truck gets there. We're both going to be staying on the side of the road. And I got there and a constable had come and he shoved him off the road so he wouldn't get killed. And he's just sitting there laughing his fucking ass off. He thought he was my son when I pulled up. I'm like, Nah, my genetics ain't great, but they're better than that, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's very hard to build employees, especially when you hire one. But I, I will tell you a quick story. So when my buddy Brian Black, who runs ITS Tactical, his first employee, he hesitated firing. And I kept telling him, you need to fire this guy because he's no, he's costing you money instead of making you money. And the way Brian eventually fired this guy, because I guess when you did your first kid, you're trying to mentor him, you know, you want to let go. I ended up having Gary Vaynerchuk on the show, and we ended up doing like a private call with just certain people in the audience. And Brian was one of them. And fucking Gary told him, you should have fired him yesterday, right? And so, so Brian literally goes and tells this guy, you're fired. I should have fired you a long time ago. But Gary Vaynerchuk fucking told me last night that I need to fire you, so you're fired. I had told him, like, he was wanting to buy this winch for his truck. And I'm like, you just paid that motherfucker for three weeks to not work way more money than this winch. You need to go buy the winch, take him out and point at it and say, this is more valuable than you, so you're fired. And You are so, literally the worst employee I have ever had. I've said that multiple times. <laughs> Did you mean it every time? <laughs> like, yeah, it, like it progressed. a new level. And I, and I tell him in a manner like, hey, you can't work here anymore. But I am going to tell you this. This is why. And this is what you could have done differently. If you just operate as though everything you do through the day is important to you, you will do everything as though it's important. Add value. Do things that your boss doesn't want to do. Do things so that your boss doesn't have to do them. It's, it's, it's simple little things even. If you have, if you're not a good, good at certain tasks and you just pick up all the bullshit that's out there, people will notice that it's happening. And sooner or later, somebody's going to realize who's doing it. Like it will always add value. But, Anytime I need, and I'm terrible about firing people. Anytime I need to fire somebody, I dwell on it and try to pretend it wasn't bad that day and maybe tomorrow will be bad. But every time I get to the point of doing it, it is such a big relief that you just like, you literally dread coming to your own building because of a person's that's going to be there. And the difference is I own that fucking building. Like I own everything in here. <laughs> so I don't need to be uncomfortable in my position. No. 
No. It's hard, though. It is because, you know, it's a person on the other side of it. And yeah. you and I come across as very harsh people, and we can be. Yeah. But we, but we do we try to mentor people. Yeah. Well, well, you don't pull punches when you need to say something, but you're not unkind people. There's a difference, right? No, I, yeah, I think I'm very kind to – I think I'm much yeah. more kind to people a lot of times. Yeah. yeah. And those yeah. who are kind when they are cruel will have to be cruel when they should be kind. There's a, a guy commented that he's told – his wife is a um, a landscape architect and has more business than she can handle. And he's been after her to get an assistant. What I would say to that is not I, – I don't have any input on the assistant. If you have more work than you can handle, raise your cost until you have the work that you want to handle. And what you will find is you will still have more work than you can handle, and you will have higher level clients, and you will have more money. Always raise your cost if you have too much work. Always. And back to the employee thing, a way – so I swore this time that I was building my business I would not need an employee. My mom functionally works for me. She works really hard. I can trust her. But now with the coffee business up, I have somebody helping me in the coffee shop. They are, or the shack. They, they are not an employee. They are contracting with me, but it's somebody who is already versed in the gig economy. Somebody who has a farm who I know from the farmer's market and she works hard. And I already saw that she worked hard and we had the relationship and she's been fantastic. Like she's smart enough to figure it out. I can teach her how to roast if I need to teach her how to roast. And I'm going to teach her how to roast just as a backup plan or if she wants to start her own roasting business. And she has a lifestyle where she has the time to work, you know, one or two days a week with me, which is perfect. And that that's been really lucky. I can say when I was running a, a business where we employed trainers, I had this all the same issues you guys had where People would just drop the ball or they would look really good on paper and then you'd get them in the office and they spent more time explaining why they couldn't do a thing than doing the thing. And I just need you to get your shit done. I mean, that that's where yeah. I ran into it. And I was way too nice. When I look back, I was way too nice. The I part of it is, do you accept them not getting their stuff done as a boss? You're a better right. boss if you don't accept that and you don't lose all your good people. Well, and you, you can go ahead, John. I get to a point where, like I, I always use entry level, right? Because everything starts at entry level. Because if you can't get past entry level, you're never going to get to the next level. But clipping and clean. We we have threads on all of our stuff. They make automated machines that clip and clean, but they clip so short, you still have this thread there. We actually have a longer thread. We burn it and smear it so it can never come back out. Our stuff never comes apart. There's no little Irish pennants all over all of our stuff, which is probably a racial slur nowadays. So... You clip and clean. When I'm standing there, you clip and clean as fast as I clip and clean. But when I'm not there, you have a 75% reduction in time, right? And what that means is if I'm paying you eight hours to do your job, I can simply come and do your job in two hours and not have any frustration with you. So, but when I'm standing there, you move at the speed I do. And I literally tell them that. I go, when I hire them, when I put them on the table, I go, hey, teach this guy your job. Teach him your job. He's not your replacement. I'm going to give you more, more responsibilities, but teach this guy how I taught you, not how you would teach him, right? And demonstrate it. And I tell him, I go, your job here as the new guy is to outperform the dude that's here. Like if, if you come in here and add so much value, I can get rid of two other dudes. Like I literally tell him that. And I go, look, 
And, and when you perform less and the day comes when I, I have to get rid of you because that will come if you perform less, three more dudes will walk through the door and they look at you like, no, they won't. And, and everybody's shaking their head like every single time the universe works in threes. Anytime I've had to fire a guy, I have had three dudes show up that week every single time. Nice. Yeah. And I would say like when you were talking about hiring your kids and stuff like that, like start early before they actually yep. can even fulfill the role of an employee in training them. Because even if they don't work for you, you're now training them to be a grown ass man or woman when they go out in the world and be able to work for somebody else. So like, and then like, I'm a big fan on like the kind of stuff like Nicole's doing or I'm doing with the farm is piecework. Like a job pays a rate. You do not get paid by the hour to go pick up eggs and fill duck shit tanks. Like that's yeah. not how that works because yeah. you can do that really fast or you can do that really slow. In the end, those are not mission critical to the point of it needs to be done by three o'clock. So I don't really care as long as it gets done today. All I care is that it gets done. So then this job pays this much money, go do it. And then if you don't do it and I have to do it, I'm pissed, right? And if, if I don't catch it in time, it might hurt me with a customer, but it's still going to get done. And I don't have the animosity that I gave you money to do something you didn't do or you did wrong. So like my grandson can't do a lot yet. He's 11, right? But he like, he'll do candling of eggs and packaging of eggs and stuff. We pay him per egg and he has to keep his own fucking records, This is how many eggs I did on this day and stuff like that. He has to basically give my wife at the end of the week a freaking invoice. It's not a real invoice, but it's like I did this much times this much money, and this is how much you owe me. And then we actually tax him. We tax him at 10% so he can learn about taxes. That's awesome. And I'm not necessarily saying we, we're going to keep that long term, but he can probably hear me from here, so I'm not going to say what it, what it actually goes towards. Yeah, I, I figured. Y'all can figure it out. Yeah. 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 You know, John Moody, who does Abby's Elderberry, that guy, He, his kids help him make the, like they go to a commercial kitchen, they have this whole process and he a hundred percent pays them by the piece. And he said they can get more bottles of elderberry syrup made and out and cleaned up than, than a normal adult could. They just buzz through it. So. No, they will. It's not they can. They will get more done. Yeah, exactly. They don't do it. They just don't do it. Awesome. Well, we're on, we're at about an hour and a half, guys. Maybe we should wrap up for this month since we're, we're going to do first Tuesday next month too, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So before we wrap up, any last words? I'll start with you, John. Um, I have these conversations every night at nine o'clock on Facebook. It's special operations equipment. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I do a video most mornings at 4.30 a.m. just kind of yelling at the camera. Um, I do some lifestyle, uh, day on the homestead kind of stuff, a day on the compound. My compound's pretty neat. There's a motocross track. There's all kinds of stuff here. Um, I have built the life I want and I just kind of show it to people on the, on the, um, the vlogs, I guess. They're on, they're on YouTube. You can find them. I'm super easy to find. You can find my business at soetacticalgear.com. Um, my stuff sells faster than we can even make it. So, Find me wherever you want to find me if you want to have some conversation. Awesome. Jack. Uh, you can find me again. I'm the survival podcast is my podcast. 14 years running over 3000 episodes. The short domain to get there is tspc.co. We have covered everything we've talked about today at nauseum and more. 
Uh, we do everything from current events and what's going on and how to prepare for it to basic preparedness, homesteading, permaculture, you name it, we've got it. And uh, if it's something you want to learn about, we're not doing a show about it this week. There's a search box there. I promise you, no matter what you look for, you will find interviews with experts or solo shows by me that go into it and tell you how to do it. And then check out my YouTube channel. Um, you can just look for uh, Jack Spierko on YouTube if you're not watching through my channel right now. And uh, we put out a lot of live shows like this every week. Uh, and I have thousands of videos of my homestead and building different systems and things like that, too. Awesome. I'm Nicole Sauce from Living Free in Tennessee. If you have not filled up your podcast feed with podcasts already, feel, think about adding mine. We talk a lot about developing my homestead in a way that I will not have to drive myself crazy maintaining it. We've got a an unintentional, intentional community here that we call the Holler Neighbors, where everybody owns their own place, but we work together on projects, which has been a very empowering thing. And you can, if you want awesome craft roasted coffee, Get that at hollerroast.com or go to John Willis's website and order coffee from him because I roast the SOE coffee. It's also very good. I, I give the same care to his coffee that I would give to any that's ordered from here. And then finally, if you are motivated by these conversations, interested in exploring true freedom and, and how to build freedom into your life, how to make that choice, how to start your small business, how to do things like blacksmithing, soap making, anything of that nature, consider coming to Self-Reliance Festival at the Special Operations Equipment Compound in Camden, Tennessee, June 11th and 12th. You can get your tickets right now at selfreliancefestival.com. Thanks for joining in, guys. Not Hey, not just that, not just that. Jack does hands-on stuff at his place also. Yeah. And Nicole does a lot at her place also. She's got one coming up also. What date's that? That one is April 28th, 29th, 30th, and it's in Lancaster, Tennessee, an hour east of Nashville. I do actually have one ticket left, surprisingly. All of a sudden, I have one. So if you want to come, huh? You could be bribed if somebody really wanted to come. They could maybe, maybe. Um, cost for mine is five hundred dollars and includes food and beverage and camping. So it's a, it's a little bit different than Self Reliance Festival, but you'll do a lot of hands on stuff. And I have a a couple of surprise guests showing up who are not listed. Information for that is at livingfreeintensity.com. Just click on workshop and you'll see it. Awesome. And uh, my workshop won't be until November. I do one in November every year, uh, so that's far enough out. We can not worry about it. I do have a couple appearances coming up. I'll be at FloatFest. I can't give you dates off the top of my head for these things, but you can look them up, FloatFest, and that's F-L-O-T-E, FloatFest from Float.app. Uh, I will be there for almost all of that event. That's going to be like a big kind of outside Lollapalooza. And then uh, John Bush with uh, Exit and Build, uh, you can look that up online. He's got something going down near Bastrop, and I will be at that as well. As that's in May. I'll be at that one, too. Oh, okay. Come see yeah. both of us. You can probably yeah. tell them what the dates are. You're better than me at that. It's Well, I don't remember the dates of that one. All actually. right. It's May. It's May. Late it's May. Late May. Close enough to Self-Reliance Festival. I'll be, be like there and back. <laughs> All right, guys. Talk next month. Well, I enjoyed that. I think this is going to be a really fun series to do. I don't know if it'll run for a year or more or what, but um, they're just two of my favorite people. And I think we all kind of, we work well together. People think I'm a hard ass. And then I kind of seem a little bit soft compared to John at times, I think. And then uh, Nicole has her unique way of bringing things together. And I love Nicole's compulsion to always say, but why? 
Uh, so I think this is a good trio, and I am really uh, happy that Nicole put it all together. And uh, I will be back tomorrow uh, with an interview. And if you are a fan of Justin Rhodes, you're going to like it, because that's who's going to be here. Justin Rhodes is going to be here from AbundantPermaculture.com. Uh, he kind of made his chops in the world of chickens. That's where he started out uh, with teaching people how to raise their own chickens for meat and eggs. He branched out from there. He did an incredible tour across the country in a school bus with his family. He even came here and did a, a documentary on my duck farm. Uh, and he has a new book out. That new book is called The Rooted Life. It's a beautiful book, and he's going to be here to talk about that and more and uh, how homesteading exploded with the 2020 pandemic. Uh, and we're going to be doing that one on live stream as well, or you'll be able to catch the audio. Either way, it's up to you. And uh, so definitely tune in tomorrow. Remember, you like this show and the work that we do, you can always support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. No matter what you buy, whether it's reviewed there or not, you'll help us out as long as you start your shopping there. Today's item of the day, which I've reviewed long, long time ago, and I just thought it's about time I bring it around for you again. Simple tool, but it's one that I think every hobbyist gunsmith really should have. It's the Vaughn SF-12 soft face hammer. It has a rubber side and a plastic side. And um, I acknowledge in my review of it that there are the hammers that have kind of the replaceable surfaces. They screw on tips, and they're, they're okay. But if you want a tool that will last you your whole life, it won't fall apart on you, it will always do the job you intended, you want to pick up the Vaughn. It's about 26 bucks, And, you know, I've had mine for, when I originally wrote the article, I said 10 years. And I looked at when I originally wrote the article today, it was 2017, and I still have it. So that's what, another five years, 15 years. And it's still as good as the day I bought it. When you invest in tools, my opinion is you go with quality. You know that everything that I review at tspaz.com is something I would spend my money on again if I needed to, or I wouldn't ask you to spend your money on it. And I spent my money on it in the first place. If there ever is an item there, there's a couple that I was provided in order to review. It always discloses. I think there's two out of over 500 items in the TSPAS catalog, two that was given to me for review rather than me doing the review. So check it out again. It's the Vaughn SF-12 Soft Face Hammer. You hobbyist gunsmiths, you need this. Least you damage your, your beautiful weaponry. And uh, remember, you can always support us again by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. With that, again, I'll catch you tomorrow with my interview with Justin Rhodes of Abundant Permaculture. And uh, with that, this has been Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. They gonna bail you out or just run you around They said you should have a house the American way A dollar down, a dollar a month And you'll never have to pay There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way